Hey everybody, welcome to the Raw Knuckles Podcast. Tim and I have been talking all things hockey and about life in general with some great guests. And we're really excited to finally release our first episode. So buckle up and get ready for a great ride. Buckle up is right, Nux. To be honest, I, lo- I love podcasting. I never thought I would be doing one. So this is something I'm really looking forward to. We've had a couple of good episodes, and I'm excited to release this thing. Well, get ready. Here's podcast number one with Chris Chelios. We hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. That'll be a suspension. That'll be a fine. Alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. Right, Shelly. We're ready to rock. How you been, buddy? Good. Great to see you. Um, Geez, you know, we've been talking. Uh, Tim, Tim and I, how I had the opportunity to play with you at the very beginning, and he had the opportunity to play at the end. I said, did Chelly mature at all uh, when you I were in know. Atlanta? No, yeah, I, think, I think so, Chelly. Me and you got sent down together. I think we had a good time. <laughs> yeah. One, uh, one game short with the Wolves of maybe winning another ring, but whatever. That's history. Yeah, history, uh, Chelly. When I think back, and uh, you know, you born in Chicago, moved to California. How your career—you ended up with a Hall of Fame career—and you look back, uh, it all started on a beach. Tell us the story about how it all began. Yeah, our family. When I was 16, we moved to San Diego. Pretty much thought hockey was over with. You know, just. At that time, believe it or not, I was pretty good in school, so I just planned on getting an education, going to college, and and figuring out what I wanted to do. But uh, I tried out for that college team in San Diego. Um, it was our first year, but they'd promised so many scholarships to all the Canadian kids that came down that um, that there just was no spots. And I also got uh, mono uh, during the tryout. That didn't help my case either. But anyway, I got cut. Uh, quit playing hockey for probably three, four months, just was, you know, hanging out. And then I met that kid, Bobby Parker on the, on the beach of all places. And, and he mentioned that there was a, a guy in Moose Jaw that was looking for players. And, uh, you know, one phone call basically changed my life. And that, and yeah, I mean, I butchered, I've, to, I've, I've tried to tell that story. I'm glad you told that because I <laughs> probably butchered that story like five times, but, um, no, it is amazing part of your career. And I think, uh, you know, you also called and, and said you, you changed positions, right? Like at that time, like they needed a defenseman and you were playing forward type thing? Yeah. I mean, for, uh, actually, first time I called, they wanted me to pay my own way up there. And I'd done that the year before when I actually went to Hawkesbury outside of Montreal there to go try out and got cut. And this time my dad wasn't going to pay. You know, we really didn't have any money for the flight. So after the first conversation with the coach, uh, you know, basically it ended like that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pay my way up there so three days later they called he had lost two games and offered to pay my way up there um and I you know he, he said what position are you he said well what do you need he goes well I need defensemen I said well I play defense so uh, I never played defense other than the you know senior leagues and that's you know that's how that story came about and that's uh 
like like your mindset at that point is is like are you just love the game that much you like you actually had you like you thought you thought you could play like in the nhl or like you know what i mean like or was it just like hey i'm gonna try to keep playing hockey type mentality yeah i mean you're from chicago two states you're a lot younger than me but i mean nobody realistically from my era my age was making it to the nhl and that wasn't my dream to play in the nhl i just love playing and this this trip to canada just was a way to keep keep playing you know longer that's all not to you know, I was hoping to get a college scholarship. Basically, that's all I was shooting for, not play pro hockey. And like I said, it wasn't my dream to play pro hockey. I didn't grow up saying I wanted to play pro hockey. If anything, I wanted to play baseball. You know, I realistically thought I had a chance because I was actually a pretty good pitcher, you know, growing up as a kid in Chicago. But no, and, uh, you know, from everything going from so bad up to that point. And then when I got to Moose Jaw, you know, every, you know everything went well, you know, from the first week there. You know, I just clicked, and, you know, I got lucky. So, Chelly, you're in Moose Jaw. How does Wisconsin happen? Did someone scout you? Did uh, your coach there help you um, go the college route? How did Wisconsin happen? Yeah, it was Tier 2 league. Uh, Moose Jaw was, you know, a Tier 2 league, so which kept you eligible. So uh, my first year there, honestly, I wasn't thinking college either because I was – basically ineligible for, you know, when I went to that United States International University, you know, I lost eligibility for a year just by doing that. Um, so uh, I had this friend that I live with in, in Moose Jaw, he was an overage, and he told me the only way, you know, after he saw how I did, you know, I, you know for my first season, the only way I'm going to make pro and get drafted was if I played tier one. And that's when I took that trip to Lethbridge, Alberta, you know, that next year. And I played about two weeks there, a couple exhibition games, um, and after that, you know, I wasn't physically ready. Uh, I was fighting, wasn't a good fighter. Uh, I was getting killed. And my, my friend Terry Tatum, who brought me there, drove me right back to Moose Jaw and said, you better just get a scholarship and go to school. So that's what happened. Now, I'm just amazed. that Obviously, I know you, Chelly, as a, as a teammate and a friend. And obviously, you know, I wasn't asking these questions when we played. But it's just crazy to think about, you know, just kind of the mindset of, you would think with your career Hall of Fame, like, you know, you would, you, you know, most people would probably think like the obsession, but it's just kind of like, hey, you know, like you said, I'm trying to go to college or whatever with hockey. Next, you know, you're fucking teammates with this guy. And then obviously the rest is history. But those are the kind of things that I like to hear. I, I just think, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, they hear the overnight success story and that's all they care about. But it's like kind of that journey. Um, and then you kind of, yeah. you know, as you were, like you said, in Chicago, there wasn't, even when I was playing, I, I, I played high school my first two years, um, you know, freshman, sophomore year. I played JV my freshman year, but I didn't get, you know, a trip, new AAA team came in um, uh, the Chicago Chill. And that's kind of how, you know, I, I tried out and made that team and then kind of went from there with how things. But the exposure, um, was, there was nothing. No one was coming out. I think it was like you, Bates Battaglia maybe was another guy, Joe Corvo, but it was very – now I feel like everyone's from Illinois that I see in the NHL. Like it's, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy how much it's evolved. Yeah. Those guys you mentioned, Battaglia and Corvo, they're, they're still 10 years, you know, younger than I am too. So if you think about, you know, back, you know, early seventies uh, in Chicago, you know, a couple of guys made it to junior, you know, that I grew up with on the South side, but no one really made it any further than, you know, whether it was us junior or going up to Canada um, but, you know, there wasn't anybody who really made pro uh, back then. You know, maybe a couple minor league guys, but just for very small stints. So 
like I said, my timing was a little early, but, you know, I think what happened with the 80 team kind of woke a few, you know, scouts up and, and about American players. So that's probably the biggest reason why I got such a look, quite honestly. Did you play at Mount – did you go to Mount Carmel? I did. I played two years at Carmel uh, my last year. And like you, similar to you, I played JV, you know, most of my – you know, all of my freshman year and most of my second year. And then at the end – uh, but between injuries and the guy got suspended actually for that championship game was the only reason why I, I really played. Uh, and then, you know, I moved right after that sophomore year out to California. So, Chelly, your time at Wisconsin, then you go to the – was the U.S. team when you played the Olympics in 84, was that a surprise for you that you ended up with that team or were you destined for that Olympic team? No, not Dustin. I mean, my first year at Wisconsin, there was no talk about me being on the Olympic team. You know, I'd been a moose jock, quite honestly. No one knew where I'd gone. Um, you know, especially my friends from Chicago. You know, I just kind of moved and that was it. No one, you know, realized that I was still playing hockey. So I still wasn't, you know, on anybody's radar. I hadn't played, you know, on any U.S. teams growing up, you know, in any of those world juniors or or I, I should say I was too old or young at that point. But uh and then after my second year, you know, after having such a good year, my first year, that's when I kind of got on everybody's radar. That's when I made the, the world junior team. Uh, and then I was, you know, guaranteed a spot at that time. It was amateurs. So I was guaranteed a spot, you know, basically like the first month or two months of my sophomore year at Wisconsin. So that's when I kind of knew it was a reality that, you know, I'd been drafted. I was going to be on the Olympic team. And then I would have to make a decision whether I was going to turn pro or go back and finish off my last two years of college. And obviously, I, I decided to turn pro after the Olympics. And uh, you were there, Nux. So. Yeah. Well, I was going to bring that up. I never forget the first time we met. It was on Atwater and of right at the um, player's entrance in the back. And you come walking around the corner from the Manuel Lemoyne. You had that little green winter jacket on, pair of jeans. Yep. And a pair of, uh, I think there was Stan Smiths with no socks on. There was like six inches of snow, and you're walking around the corner, <laughs> jacket wide open. I'm there, oh, this kid, oh, he's a beauty right away. I, I'll never forget that day. But, but coming to Montreal from the Olympics that year, how like intimidating was that for you, knowing the history of the the, the team, the, the number of Stanley Cups they won, the organization. How intimidating was it? You mean, I mean, I'd never been to Quebec other than that, you know, that year I went to go trial for Hawkesbury. And quite honestly, I never watched pro hockey growing up in Chicago. Stapes, you can, you can uh, see why. It was never on TV, the Hawks game. So we didn't have the opportunity to watch a lot of NHL hockey. And then when I moved to San Diego, you know, zero. So... Getting to Montreal, and when I got to to, uh, to Montreal, I was actually hurt. I broke my ankle in the Olympics, so I watched the first two three games. You when you know Bob Barry was coaching at the time, and to see you know the team wasn't doing well, how critical the fans were, you know, in the in the rink during the games if someone missed a pass or there's a bad player, they're booing their you know the home team. So I learned quick, you know, these people were real serious and knowledgeable, and you know after the history of Montreal and, and them so used to winning all these Stanley Cups, I learned pretty quick and it was, it was very intimidating. You know, I, I was on radio shows and people were asking me who I thought I was coming in, you know, think I'm going to make a difference to the team. And uh, so, yeah, uh, 
you know, a lot of pressure. There's no question. There's a ton of pressure, but I, I didn't really let it bother me. Thank God I couldn't read the French papers. You know, they're, they're very critical and, and that would have been tough, you know, having to deal with that too. Uh, so, you know, I played and, you know, my first 13 games were horrible. I uh, didn't play well. And then I got into that first game in the playoffs and like, a, a, you know, someone flipped a switch Scored my first goal, first goal of the playoffs against Boston, and everything from that point on, you know, next we lost out to the Islanders in the you know, semifinals. We were on a great run. So I was lucky the way things went for me. I was just thinking about what you, the, that whole crowd experience. I was just you go to a Hawks game now, and it's like I and I could be wrong, but maybe I'm just you know people are everyone's just like shoot. You got the, the guys got the puck at the red line, like it's just like you know they're partying. Everyone, no one knows hockey. Yeah. I feel like. And then when I got the, you know, obviously playing in Winnipeg, I just, I know that experience of just the fans and, and knowing the game, like the dry, you know, I'd go to like the dry cleaners and the guy would be like bitching about the power play. And I'd be like, were you just in the meeting we had? Cause you're exactly right. Like they just, it was, it was yeah, it is, crazy, right? Like it is crazy. Like how much yeah. of a difference the knowledge is in fans and stuff. But back then they had, you know, no glass behind the benches even. So I, at the time my, after my, I think it was my third or fourth game. This guy, you know, he kept yelling at us to get going and wake up. And so I turned around and told him to shut up. Not in those words, but basically the same. After the game, we're in the dressing room and we'd won the game. And, you know, I'm sitting there with Craig Ludwig. And here comes the old guy that I was yelling at. It was Senator Molson. So I thought right away, well, that's a bad start telling the, you know, the owner and the Senator Molson of the team to shut up. And uh, he came right up to me, and he loved it. You know, he says he likes that kind of energy. I'm like, thank God. I would, could have got traded my first, you know, week in Montreal. So, it, like I said, they, they, they're knowledgeable people, and they, they expect a lot of you. Yeah, it's funny, uh, Stapes. They had the, the president of the team and the owners all sat right behind the bench, and there was no glass there. So they could hear everything. You know, Mr. Molson's wife, we're telling everybody, fuck off, fuck you, you suck. <laughs> we're screaming at people and the wives are sitting there. Uh, it was hilarious. One night they had the king of Denmark and his wife behind us sitting there. And I was going off on someone we were playing Boston. I don't know. But I had some very foul language. And I remember Mr. Corey, the president at the time, came in between periods. He said, hey, can you keep it down a little bit for the – the, the wife of the king of Denmark. I'm like, fucking, see you later, Ronald. <laughs> like, but, you know, Chelly, thinking of those times, and, you know, that second year, and I, I remember we, Steve Penny come in that year, we, we, we get up two games to nothing on the Islanders. They come back four straight in the conference final. Yeah. We're out. I remember coming back from New York on the plane, and I was walking through the airport with Greeny. And there was a ton of people at the airport. And Greeny said to me, can you imagine we ever won the Stanley Cup here, what it would be like? Here we lose in the conference final. There's people greeting us at the airport. And it was the next year we end up going um, uh, to the Stanley Cup final in Calgary. And it was, I mean, incredible what we were able to pull off. What, what were your memories of that year? Obviously, we had... You know, Alcatraz, we were staying in the hotel, right? Uh, Jean Perron, Puddinghead, the coach. At the time, they put us in a hotel to keep us <laughs> away from downtown. They didn't want us downtown. The least amount of distractions as possible. But 
What do you remember from that time? I mean, I think it was Jacques Lemaire actually was the one that started that, right, the year before when we went on that run again and, and ended up losing the Islanders. But, yeah, I mean, I loved it. Like, it was, a you know, we were so close to the team and everybody's together and we got along so well. And, and then, obviously, when you start doing well in the playoffs, you know, we had that seven-game, you know, series against Hartford. And I remember – you had that famous back check next where you caught this guy in a two-on-one and then Claude Lemieux comes back and scores. That's when you, you know, know you're a fighter, huh? You had a famous back yeah, check. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I've never seen Nux skate so fast in my life. Uh, you know, that's how hungry, you know, the guys were and Nux was. And then, you know, we went on, beat the Rangers, and, you know, it, we just built momentum. But just like I said, it was it, – it's work and it's hard, but it's fun. And the deeper you go in the playoffs and then – you know, obviously winning in Calgary, you know, the, the, the celebration, you know, with the wives and all, of, you know, just a limited amount of family we had there in the dressing room. And then, you know, we flew that red eye back. And when we got to that oh. airport, you know, I think Larry Robinson and, and Bob Gainey were the only two that figured out how to get out, you know, a back way so they didn't have to walk through all those people. But I can remember Dave Maley started swinging at people he got claustrophobic and we were you know we were stuck in the middle of baggage claim trying to get through there and thousands of people jammed inside that airport terminal was really the first thing that come to mind how crazy it yeah. was and then of course the parade uh you know riding in the back of that car with you know the late tom Kerbers, a great teammate you know great friend uh yeah it, I mean, a parade that was probably should have lasted two hours you know, down St. Catherine lasted four and a half hours, you know, getting overserved by the fans. And then, that, you know, what a train wreck I was when I got to the <laughs> forum to go on stage. And, you know, it happens. You know, I was young. Uh, and I just, you know, to celebrate with the city and the weather was beautiful. I mean, we they tore that city apart the night we won it. And we we won. I can't imagine what they'd have done if we lost to those, you know, St. Catherine there, you know, with the cars and the fires and so yeah, it was it was just something I'll never forget, and it was you know it was you couldn't win the cup in a better city, that's for sure. Yeah, Chelly, when I, I think back of that era, and obviously winning that cup, how the the parade, everything. I, I think when you first came in, you surprised a lot of people, and I say that because honestly, we didn't know much about you. We knew American kid coming in. I was happy because we're another American on the team, but. One thing people didn't, I think you surprised a lot of people, is how tough you were. And, and you know, I remember being in Boston and squaring up with O'Reilly. And I actually have a picture in here of you trying to fucking get in between the two of us to break up my fight. I know. You're like, you didn't want to fucking me fighting O'Reilly. I'm like, Chelly, get out of the way. Same fucking thing happened. Uh, in that brawl to end all brawls with Dave Brown. You're, you're there with Brownie trying to fucking keep me from fighting Brownie. Every, I, I think that was the biggest surprise about you. A lot of people didn't, they figured college kid, oh, I can't be that tough. And you come in and you played, you played the game nasty the way it should have been fucking played. Yeah, I, mean, I, I learned that in Moose Jaw. I was the only American in the league and I had no choice, so... I mean, it's either you adapt or die. You, you know, and I had never been in a fight in my life on the ice until I got to Moose Jaw. And I, the first fight was with Garth Butcher. Remember Garth Butcher, that 
yeah. tall, lanky defenseman, you know, tough kid. He was 15 at the time, and he and he got me good. You know, he he whipped the hell out of me that first fight. But I, as soon as we got out of the box, I went right after him. I did okay, and then, you know, you learn. In two years, I had a lot of fights. And then I, I'll never forget my first fight. And actually, you were the first guy to come up to me. You're so happy. I fought Steve Casper that first <laughs> yeah. uh, game in the playoffs. Actually, it wasn't the playoffs. It was my first game against Boston in the Garden. And you grabbed me and shook my head. But, and then you were really mad at me for, for getting involved, like trying to get in between you and, and O'Reilly. And I think that's... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a fight you dropped him with that punch in that you got right in the eye. No, that was I, later, I you, though. It was yeah, I, I, that was, and that was the end of Terry O'Reilly. I think that was his last year. And I know you loved O'Reilly growing up, and you you respected him. But um, those are some good battles. But yeah, and and then you had the one brawl when you, you lined up in the face off, and you you with Jay Miller, and then Dum Dum Curran, that yeah. you know, baby feet or baby <laughs> stuff. He tried to run in after you, and I caught him, and and that's when I'll tell you, Whitey was so proud of me. That's when Whitey adopted me. Is when oh yeah, when I you were adopted for you that right game. then. So. Yeah, <laughs> so there's no question. Yeah, I became part of the family. Yeah, yeah you but did. anyway, like I said, it was just you know you had to back then at least you know at least protect yourself and you had you had to show up and and defend yourself. Otherwise, you know people take advantage of you. So as your career as your career went along, I loved. I mean, this is awesome to hear these kind of you know obviously um, just what it was like for you guys. But now as you went on with your career and obviously you became more. Uh, you could say like offensive defenseman kind of like, you know, um, and you still had your style, like as you played with like tough guys, say like Chris, um, or like Probert, you played with Probert, right? Was he still there or was he gone when you went to Detroit? Uh, I actually played with Proby in, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Now with, playing yeah, with guys yeah. like that, what, did you feel like, uh, were you like me where like all of a sudden you grew like a few inches and it just felt like kind of safer or were you just with your style? You never thought about that. I mean, I didn't think about that till I got to junior, and then obviously Nux was my babysitter on and off the ice. So it you get room, and it helps a lot when Dale Hunter and all these guys are chasing you around, and then Nux comes on, and all of a sudden it gets real quiet. So, uh, and I mean, all my best friends on the teams were usually the tough guys and the fighters because they took care of me, and I, I couldn't have done it without them. You know, it, it's it, there's a lot to be said for that, and still, even though the game's changed a lot. A perfect example is that kid Reeves, what he's doing for the Rangers. It's a totally different team now with him around, and they have had a little grit and size. And so it's always going to be part of the game. And, you know, regular season, it doesn't, you know, it, that's when I think it has the most impact. Playoffs, you got to play hockey, but you still need those guys. And, you know, I, you know, I didn't take them for granted. And give Nux credit. Like, he, he taught himself how to play and ended up on the top checking line for years. His knucks, what yeah. happened? And he had the and he had the famous back check. And then I scored. Then I scored goals, Tim. Tim can't believe I scored goals, Charlie. Well, you had. Did you have no, nineteen I mean, or twenty the one year? Twenty-one. You scored nineteen goals one year, didn't you? Yeah, he knows. Twenty-one, 21 goals. Yeah, goals. I got nineteen. I had one year twenty-one, one year nineteen, another year seventeen, for a plumber. Yeah, and you're playing with two, playing with two other plumbers, and Bob Ganey Carbo <laughs> yeah. wasn't a plumber, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Bo wasn't up. He wasn't a playmaker. He just worked his ass off. But yeah, and 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 give credit Jacques Lemaire. He gave you know Nux that opportunity and taught him how to play. And, and 
he turned into a, a reliable, very reliable, you know, defensive player, like and and shut down player. Where does your work? How so your work ethic? I mean, my wife's Greek, and I'm O for five hundred in arguments, so I know, like, I know. How to, <laughs> but like, where does that? Obviously, there's a work ethic that's that you're kind of like just born. I mean, you're born with some, you know, above and beyond playing as long as you did, um, and obviously being able to kind of experience like the things you would do to prepare, and you know, obviously just showing up every day. Um, where is that? Where do you think that is that come from? Your your parents. Absolutely. All they did was work their whole life to provide for us and in mostly restaurants and bars uh, for the most part, uh, you know, 80 hour weeks, crazy hours, but still managing, you know, my mom raising five kids and, you know, dad somehow trying to squeeze in as much, you know, kid time as he could. He made every, you know, every time I was playing, he tried to make everyone if he, if he you know, if he could. But again, I saw how hard my dad worked in the restaurant at home. You know, and, you know, it was just for me, it was natural because I was raised like that, you know, growing up in the restaurant bar business. If it didn't work, I was going to get a, a little bit of a tongue lashing or not a beaten, but, you know, <laughs> a backhand. So you learn like, it, you know, and you don't want to get hit. You want to do the right thing. So that, that's what you do. So um, and it just carried over onto the ice. You know, never mind the hard work ever. Um, you know, I think I was ahead of the curb when it came to training. Uh, just because of evolution and the training methods. I mean, I think back at, you know, guys like Bob Ganey, Larry Robinson, all their, the only training back then was a stationary bike and maybe bench press. That's about in it. In the sauna, so, though, Charlie. In the sauna. In the sauna. I invented that just like Rocky invented hitting those goddamn cows in the, where they, they slaughtered the, the cows. Market. I invented the sauna. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll take credit for that. Um, but, yeah, it, it, hard work was, I, I loved it. You know, I'd, I'd be first one at the rink, last one to leave. And, uh, you know, I, it's something I really enjoyed. And, and obviously it paid off. Stapes, Chelly yeah. had a key to the locker room in Montreal. He would go to the locker room, like, at night. Like, you know, an off night, he would go down to the locker room and work out by himself, take a sauna. The only guy in the team who had a key to the locker room. Yeah, well, it started. It started because there wasn't much video back then, and we had this video guy, Fred. I remember Freddy. Not you must remember. That's Freddie. Yeah. And no one really watched a whole bunch of video, but Jacques Lemaire, you know, took his time and taught me. And I wouldn't mind, you know, going in at night and, you know, going to, to once he taught me how to run the machines there and everything and the audio video, you know, I'd, I'd watch a lot of tapes in there. I mean, we had a small apartment. Me and Nux actually lived in the same apartment complex our first two years, and uh, it was literally – a hundred yards, not even from the forum. So I had no problem going over there using the sauna, the cold tubs and, you know, watching the video. It was, you know, it was the way I, you know, away from home. And that's basically where I spent all my time was at the forum. Yeah. Knox, when uh, Shelly came to the Wolves, he, within like a 24 hours, he had a sauna installed. So it was great, but he needed uh. that. <laughs> he needed that sauna. <laughs> Well, yeah, I remember thinking back, we lived in the same building there. And I remember, you know, I, I was newly married, young family. I think uh, Colleen was born at the time. And I'd be, I was up on like the 17th floor and they were on the 12th. And I say, hey, I'm going to go down and watch the game tonight, right? <laughs> With Shelly and the guys. I come down, I open the door. Huge, like just huge party going on <laughs> yeah watching the game i was down there till like four in the morning <laughs> with yeah, all the young guys free beer from molson every guy 
Yeah, every oh. guy was. We had eight rookies. Uh, yeah, we had eight rookies. So I mean, no one, no one had a wife. You know, no one had anybody to live with any girls. So, you know, we were like brothers. So yeah. we took turns. We all spent the same amount of time. And the, that the Molson family, being as generous as they were, were each giving us five cases a month each, free of beer. So that worked out pretty good for us. Yeah, ever. Yeah, it was like ever since you told him to shut up, you got free. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said we got to keep this kid. It's like I uh, knew this would pay uh, off. Stocked. <laughs> yeah oh boy well then you had we had some ryan walter was a born-again christian so he didn't drink his beer i got his and whoever didn't pick up their beer every month i'd get their beer and throw it in my truck and you know i was loaded it was awesome so chelly we win the cup together it was awesome your first stanley cup in your second season basically and then you go on uh i moved on obviously and i I was with the Rangers and I remember that year in the playoffs and I want to talk about the incident and I only wish I was there. I was so pissed off. I wasn't, I was watching on TV when you uh, had hit uh, prop with that clean check and Hextall come after you. Yeah. I was like, you know, it was kind of a payback to prop. You know, he had slashed me earlier in the season broke my finger and I didn't say nothing. You know, I just waited and it's not like I knew that was going to happen to him. He hit, Unfortunately, it hit his head on one of those metal girders, you know, in the glass. And that's, you know, that's what actually did it. And I'm not going to say it was a clean hit because I did get my elbow up, but by no means that I mean that it to be that severe. But yeah, and I, I was expecting something to, you know, somebody to do something. Uh, one of those Sutters took a shot at me. Someone else did. And, you know, fortunately, I didn't get hurt and, you know, survived that series. And we went on to you know, to, to beat Philadelphia that series. I was thinking more, too, obviously, out of the winning the Cup in Montreal. You won three of them. Like, do they all have different meanings? Like, one, what did you like, uh, you know, did one mean more to you than the other? Um, well, I think not so much meant more to me, but what, what the differences were when I was in Montreal, I just shared it with the guys, you know, my teammates. I didn't have family there. I didn't have kids. And then 17 years later, I went over to Detroit, and I got sons that are, you know, 10 and 8 years old. You know, the girls were seven and five and, you know, that was awesome to share with my, you know, my kids and they were old enough to understand and, and be at the game. So it was two different, you know, much older team uh, with Detroit when we won it in 2002. So, you know, I'm, no way was one better than the other. Uh, like for your first cup, I, I think I should have celebrated like I did, get, you know, hammered and, <laughs> and, and just have a great time. And then the second one, more reserved and, you know, just sharing it with the city and the fans and your friends and, you know, the family. Yeah. And then the third one was Malibu, right? Well, both both times we celebrated in Malibu. The first one, you know, that was it was incredible because we had everybody from Rocky, you know, Sylvester Stallone to, <laughs> you know, the guy from Meathead, Rob Reiner. And, you know, it wasn't like I invited these people, but. It was on the beach and it was a public beach. And from, you know, through social media, people just found out the Stanley Cup was there. So you know, we had Kid Rock, you know, ended up performing on the beach. We had set up a stage and a band. So uh, it was amazing. And then same thing in Chicago, you know, I, we you know brought it to Wrigley Field. We brought it to White Sox Park. We, you know, the local bars and, you know, the, the grammar school and my high school. So pretty special when you, you could share that Stanley Cup with all of the people you grew up with and, your coaches and the, and friends and you know that that's what it's all about. That thing is like crazy though. That thing's like Justin Bieber walking. You know, we everyone just goes. To yeah, that. It's, it's nuts. I stops saw, traffic. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's um, even the people in California when we took it out to the restaurant at night. 
they didn't know what it was. It's just the sight of that trophy, you know, and people drinking out of it. It's a real special tradition that, you know, only hockey does. They so try to order what you were drinking. They're like, hey, give me one of those. Yeah, most of the time it's beer, champagne, but it, I'm sure guys have put a lot more other things in there. So it's a, it's 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 pretty cool. We're in conversation with my uh, friend, Chris Chelios, former teammate, uh, along with Tim Stapleton here. Chelly, um, you know, we look at uh, some of our fans who, who listen to the show and, and, and text in, uh, they w- love asking questions. And one of them was, which team did you enjoy the most? Canadians, Blackhawks, Red Wings? I don't want to even throw the thrashes in there, but I got to say those. Aside from the thrash. Three original six <laughs> teams. Which one was your favorite? Yeah. I got, honestly, God, in all seriousness, I, I can never pick a favorite because the fact that I just love playing, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, start with Montreal, win a cup, the way the people treated me. And as, as sometimes as bad as it got there with the media and, and, the, and the pressure, not once did it, it, it bother me. I wake up and it's another day. So, And then Chicago, I think the, the only thing different and special about Chicago was that I was going back home and everybody that I grew up with, you know, coaches, you know, family, relatives, they got the chance to see me play for my hometown you know, and that to me, that's pretty special when you can make the NHL and actually, you know, be able to play in the, the city where you grew up. And Detroit, you know, spent the most amount of time, 10 years there to win two cups. You know, again, it was my family, raising my family, the kids, basically, we were there for 20 years total, uh, raising my kids there. So I, I and I mean this in all sincerity, they were all special in their own way, but I could never pick a favorite. Like it, it just everybody and, you know, everyone, it was it was three great experiences throughout my career. It's a good problem to have. I don't, you know, to choose, you know, which cup is more meaningful. Like, I don't, I can't even come close to that. But that's, uh, no, it's incredible for sure. Yeah, and had I won a cup in Chicago, I, I might have said, okay, you know, winning it in my hometown. You know, I think Mark Messier is one guy that I, comes to mind. He's from St. Albert, uh, Alberta and he you know right around the corner from Edmonton so he's another guy in the, that was in the same situation but I'm not going to say it's a regret and I, I you know had a great career but you never think you can't ever think perfect you know Ray Bork had to go to Colorado win a cup Rob Blake had to go to Colorado win a cup but it would have been something that, that you know it would have been amazing to have won the cup you know playing for Chicago in my hometown that would have been you know that would have been icing on the cake for my career. We know you're the, the, the competitive uh, person that you are. And the way you played the game, you, you were all in all the time. Loved being at the rink. How about the Greek bods, bobsled team? What was that all about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know what, what happened there? Quite honestly, here's the deal. I was in the cafeteria, and I saw the Greek guys. You know, with their, you know they had their uniforms on. And I, I always go over and say hi to the Greeks, whatever, every – you know, every chance I get, I got a big supporter, obviously the Greeks being proud. And I started talking to them and, you know, it, we, we just kept in touch and contact and a couple of the guys were from Chicago. So um, we decided to get together. And at the time when we got back together after the Olympics, you know, they were having a tough time raising money and they thought it'd be a great idea if I, you know, just came to come a couple of the world tournaments and, you know, actually competed and, 
and help them out to raise some money at some of these functions. So that's all it was. At, at first, I thought, you know, this would be fun. Get to go down a bobsled, learn how to bobsled. Uh, not much to it, you know, other than you run as fast as <laughs> you can and, and jump in the sled. Uh, so, you know, I went to Calgary to the World Championships, took a lot of heat from these Canadian bobsledders. You know, they're, you know, they're telling me I don't know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there is a lot of work involved. Most of those guys are track guys. Their legs are huge, and it's about running. But at the end of the day, I did it for fun. I seriously did want to, you know, compete for the Greeks if I could. At that point, there was a lockout that season, so the timing would have been okay. Uh, and then I you know, decided because I would be taking someone else's spot if they were to qualify, I didn't want to do that. So, you know, and then we ended up on our head a couple times. You know, the driver you know, was flipping us a few times. That was no fun going you know, 80 miles an hour down the track on your head. Uh, but again, I made a lot of good friends, had a lot of fun. Got to go to New York and Lake, you know, down Lake Placid to do a world championship or a world cup, I should say, and also try and qualify uh, in Calgary. So at the end of the day, I made some you know, good friends and had a lot of fun doing it. How'd you get Jake on the Chinese uh, Olympic team? <laughs> well, you've been over there. I'm just speaking of the Olympic team. Yeah. He's like, Chelly's like, he you know, him. you're from there. You're from there. No. <laughs> Jake, <laughs> my son Jake got himself on that team. And basically, I think people don't understand is you don't have to. You don't give up citizenship. You just get a visa for that country. So if you go play any country for any country over in Europe for two years, as long as you haven't competed for a, another team, meaning another country, you can qualify to, to play for any country in the Olympics. And it just so happened, you know, he was playing in the KHL, you know, the premier league over in Russia. And China had a team in that league as, along with Finland. And he played there two years and, you know, had done pretty well. And then the Chinese people, you know, committed to him to be on that team. So I'll tell you what, though, for Jake, it was a great experience for him. I, I hadn't seen him that happy, you know, since he got called up to Detroit, you know, to play for the Red Wings for those seven games that he played. And, you know, he came back, unfortunate with the situation now, what's going on, you know, in Ukraine and Russia and you know, he's that he's obviously it's going to be a big uh, decision for him to you know whether they go back to Russia or not, or China's even going to, you know, participate again in the AKHL with their team. So uh, but again, back to Jake, he had the time of his life. It was great that he matched up against USA, uh, Germany and in, uh, in Canada. And so we got to see those games, which was great. No, you're right. I, I when I was in Belarus, they they offered the same thing. I ended up playing with the world championship uh, u.s team so i couldn't you know i i knew i was going to play world championships and i was like i didn't like you said it was like two three years you can't play represent another country but no i yeah. saw it i i thought it was awesome i thought it was awesome jake got to do that and i'm sure it was a great moment for you to see and and um yeah i was rooting for him but that was pretty cool cool that he got to do that for sure yeah it, it was a tough situation because chinese the way they handled their quarantine was way more protocol than any other country like they had to you know they had to quarantine in their hotel room for 10 days and that was just before the olympics they only got to skate you know three days before the olympics jake had lost almost 12 pounds you know from the time they went to china to the time the olympics started so everything that you know could go against them did you know they lost their goalie their, their number one goalie in that elimination game to canada after the first period so but, again, it was a hell of an experience for Jake. I'll never forget it. Yeah, Chelly, when you, you look at the kids, and, and again, I remember 
when little Chris was on the way, Chris Jr., I remember Big Surge came to me and he said, hey, big boy, whatever you do, don't name him Chris. I did that with my, my Surge, and it was a big mistake. Anyway, I went ahead and named him Chris. Now, do you think, I, I figure anyway, that last name was going to be <laughs> regardless, but do you think sometimes the last name um, can kind of put a little more pressure on your kids, per se, when they're playing sports? Well, definitely your kid and my kid because we had targets on our back throughout our whole career. No question. Um, and I saw it, obviously, you know, growing up as they played youth hockey, especially when they went to Canada. Uh, and even in Michigan, Chicago, you know, they're going to test them because they figure they're like their old men. And my kids handle it very well. You know, I, you know, Dean was more of a skilled player, so that wasn't his game, you know, being aggressive and – you know, he wasn't a fighter. You know, there's no question, you know, Jake was a little more aggressive. He played that type of game. But they weren't mean kids. They were tough. And, you know, it, you know, there's a difference. And uh, if anybody was mean, it was my daughter Kaylee, you know, when she played sports. So uh, as, as sweet as she is off the ice or off, you know, the field, you know, she was the one that had the mean in her. So it probably took after me most likely. But for the most part, the boys handle it well. Uh, it had to bother them a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't. I think the Greeks. I don't have to worry about that. The Greeks they skip a generation, so I'm named after my grandpa. So technically, I can't name my kid. I don't want to piss my old man off. So, yeah, those Italians. They, they, they the, the Italians just like you know Chris one, Chris two, Chris three. But the Irish, they you know they got you know they, they kind of they don't really have a set tradition, do they, Nux? I don't know. No, about the not Irish, really. They? It, it, it yeah. depends. I'm yeah. Irish too, it's guys, usually, you know. Yeah, you are half <laughs> Irish, right, Timmy? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying he could have asked me too, but I don't know. We don't have a yeah. <laughs> no. I didn't know you were Irish. Yeah, Sorry. What, well, what's your, you know, huh? What's your other uh, Filipino? What's your other? So, but Stapleton's not an Irish name, yeah, is it? My dad's for, I mean, my dad looked like he took me from the Philippines. He's like, looks, he's, <laughs> he's from Michigan. He was he's, kidnapped. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm still to finding my dad but uh you might want to get a blood <laughs> test yeah no but speaking of kaylee real quick your daughter like she was a big time lacrosse player right i think that's when when yeah I met her. yeah so she, what she's yeah. doing now like was that part of the you know was that in the picture or like before or you gotta be that's gotta be pretty cool for you to see her doing what she's doing now right oh i'm so happy now she's back in chicago she was with tampa bay lightning for four years uh you know doing the broadcasting but quite honestly, you know, she played hockey, she played lacrosse, but she figured, you know, lacrosse was her best avenue to get into a great school for journalism. So there was a plan, you know, and she, it's not like that's what she knew she was going to do in high school, but the minute she got to college and, and figured it out, that's what she had her mind set on. And, you know, girls like Catherine Tappan, uh, that was her mentor. Like that's who she wanted to be. And, uh, and she's built a name for herself there in Tampa, and now it's carried over to Chicago. And she's been working with Pat Foley at Olachek, and, and she's got herself a nice little niche here doing all the Hawks games. And uh, the only tough thing, she got two little kids, and that's, you know, she's walking around tired, and, but somehow she manages to pull it off. And uh, I couldn't be prouder for her. You know, for, you know, I look back, my sisters didn't have that opportunity. The women of that era, you know, didn't have that, you know, opportunity to, to pursue careers. And 
it just wasn't a thing. And now she's, you know, right in the thick of things. So she sounds really awesome, happy by the way. Her. And I'm not even, I'm not trying to just be nicer. I, I watched, you know, obviously in the intermissions yeah, so once in a while. And she sounds great. So she can talk, cool. that kid. Sometimes too much, but that's <laughs> yeah. if you're in she's that business. Really good. <laughs> no, she's, she's really good. No, she's really good, Shelly. I remember, um, well, when I had the radio show, I had her on the show quite a bit when Montreal and Tampa get together, and she was awesome, like really. And we we actually went back and talked about a few of our times um, here in Montreal with her. It was pretty funny, Shelly. Um, talk about coaches like you know I have my favorite coach was Lemire certainly uh helped me a whole lot and you know you you near the end having Mike Babcock when you were in uh Detroit how was your relationship with him and like was it did was it good at the beginning and get get bad or was it ever good your relationship with Babcock pretty bad from the get-go uh don't ask me why. Uh, I tried like hell to win his heart, whether it was working hard. I did what I was told. And, you know, as much as has been said about me and Babs, there was never any arguments. Uh, you know, he's yelled at me a few times. I healthy scratched myself. He didn't like that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was just something. I, and we, it's crazy. We had history. He played in, in, in the Saskatchewan. When I played for Moose Jaw, he was playing for – either Yorkton or Saskatoon. And then when I went to, when we were in Montreal, Nux, he was actually going to McGill at the time. And I don't know if he was playing there for the team or he was just attending school. And and I think back and he was in the bars there when we were there. We'd, we'd walk in and he would be there with his buddies. He'd walk out because he kind of liked to be the, the big man on campus. But, uh. um, you know, when he got hired, you know, his first opening line, you know, to me when we had the, our first meeting was, you know, your hair is a fifth or sixth defense, and if you don't like it, you can go see Kenny Holland. I'm sure he'll trade you. And I'm like, geez, why would he, Ugh. you know, wh why would he say something like that? And, and again, you know, I, I, I played, you know, I, I did, you know, slide into that fifth and sixth spot as a mentor, uh, you know, for the young guys, for the Yuri Fishers, for Brett Lebda, for, you know, Quincy, Kyle Quincy. And I was fine with that at that point in my career. Uh, you know, I had no ego, and I was on a great team. And uh, But he just made it hard on me uh, by healthy scratching me, by trying to, you know, change the way I penalty killed. And, you know, even if we were number one in the league, he'd try and make me, you know, kill a penalty a different way, and, and I couldn't do it. You know, it was just uh, – I read the ice. I had a skill, and, and, and I was just one of those guys that wasn't good with – you know, direction. And you just give me a basic plan. And like Jacques Lemaire, you mentioned perfect example. He kept things simple and would just tweak you. Uh, you know, Babs was a big power guy. His ego and whatever it was. Uh. And, you know, we really, like I said, it just no matter what I did. And you know what? After you play as long as I did, you're going to run into a coach that, you know, you're not one of his guys. And, you know, that happens. And, and I'm a lot better with it now than I was at the time because I couldn't understand it. All I wanted to do was win. Um to play guys ahead of me that weren't, you know, that, that he put him in positions that they couldn't. It was nothing against my teammates, but they weren't top four defensemen when I had that opportunity to do it. And he put guys in that position, made them look bad, and what's worse, made the team lose. And, I, you know, that's one thing that I couldn't accept when he's put himself, his own personal, ahead of the team. And that's, you know, that's just one thing I just could never agree with. And I can attest to that. 
when I played with Shelly, um, <laughs> like a year after our season, Shelly, I ran, we, you know, obviously we, we were, fr- were friends and hung out and stuff, but I saw you like a year later at, at Stanley's and, and I was just, you know, it's been a while since I saw you and you were just like right away, just like bitching about how you should have been on the power play uh, when we were together at the Wolves. And I was thinking to myself, that's insane. <laughs> like the guy, this guy's career and how successful it was, he's mad about not being on the power play. And that's, I, I, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, you're speaking the truth there. Of, uh, you know, I saw firsthand of just like you did want to win and you did believe in, you know, you could only help the team. And I think that's something that, uh, you kind of have i mean you're born with it. it it's it's pretty crazy it's pretty crazy in a, in a yeah who's our coach don who's the coach don, 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 uh, like, don. And don i was like lever <laughs> yeah don yeah lever. and i understood it was a yeah it was a development league and i was all for that in regular season i didn't care about being on the power play but i'd asked him a month with a month left in the year to start putting me on the second unit you know i i, I thought i could be a lot of help on the second unit because you can't just jump into it like you know it takes a little time to get your timing back your offensive skills back and you know I hadn't been on it for you know a year so actually more than a year because I never really played power play my last couple years in Detroit and and what does he do first you know first series against that we lost to Dallas there in in game seven remember Jamie Ben got that overtime winner I don't know why they said but what's he do like three yeah three or four games into the you know the that series he starts putting me in the power play and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Now, you know, where was that a month ago? And, and honestly, I could have really contributed, especially at that in that league, in the American League. And and it wasn't about my own personal. It no, was just about that's what I'm the saying. Team. Like a hundred percent it yeah, wasn't personal. No, it, it was it was and you yeah. you had a good year that year with us. And I think too, it's it's just amazing to see that like how much you still cared. Like I think most people at forty eight end of their career, what you've done, they wouldn't be like even talking about that, right? So it's just yeah. it's crazy to you know, to realize like, wow, man, that's, this guy's competitive and there's a reason why he's had the success he's had. But yeah, it was, I, it definitely wasn't about you. It was about, you know, trying to win. So I, I yeah, we had, a, we had a great year that year and it, it couldn't have gone better with that team. And, you know, like I said, we were one game, you know, we lost to Dallas in that seventh game. They went on and won the Calder cup. So, you know, that could have been us. Yeah, and then Nux, they sent Jamie. You know, they got you. Know, they sent Jamie Ben down, and he played like eighty NHL games that year. And they sent them down, and he played in the AHL playoffs, and just like literally lit it up. But I, you yeah. know, if they didn't send him yeah. down. It was. I think we would we would have been champs. We had a good team. And I was driving him crazy that series. Like he <laughs> yeah. didn't do nothing that whole series, but he got that goal. Yep. Yep. Shelly, three three Norris trophies, your tenth all time points for defenseman. When I look at this, it still amazes me, and your dedication to the game and your love for the game. With with playoff games, you played one thousand nine hundred and seventeen games. I played fucking eight hundred games, and my body is so beat up. I am, but. When, when I look back, and I think the arthritis, my hands, all the injuries I've had, but when I look back and I think of those last few years, it started really playing on my head. I started questioning myself, okay? I started saying, oh, I'm slowing up a bit. It's getting tougher to fight, all those things. At what point, <laughs> what point did it, did, did it get to you where you said, listen, it's time to fucking hang it up? Like, it seemed like you never wanted to hang it up. What what was the thing that said, I'm done with hockey? You know what? I, when, I, when I got traded, 
from Chicago to Detroit, actually, I was doubting myself then. You know, struggling, couldn't play 35 minutes anymore, that's for sure, at that age, at 38, 39 years old. So I started doubting it then. And then I got to Detroit where, you know, I didn't have to carry the load. They had such a great team. I just fit in. I wasn't playing, you know, as opposed to 30 to 35, I'm playing 25, you know, right around 20, 25. And, you know, it was so much more easier in my body. I wasn't, I, I never sweat, in, you know, in the first place, but I, I couldn't break a sweat during games and you're winning and it was a second life. And then I get, you know, you know, seven years into Detroit and, you know, it was the, the one run uh, in 2002 uh, where you're playing every other day. And my knee, you know, I've always had, you know, kind of a, a, a messed up knee. I was freezing it. And, and it got to the point where I got to the finals and the freezing was wearing off. So that's when I kind of realized, you know, I can't, you know, I can't put that type of stress on my body anymore. And, and only because of my knee, uh, everything else was perfect. So thank God I was on a team like Detroit where, you know, by the end, you know, I'm playing maybe 12, 15 minutes a game and it was easy, you know, and it, it just the way it worked out for me. And then, uh, Atlanta, you know, that was just, yeah, I was just going to say it was the Atlanta knocks Atlanta really that, put <laughs> that, that, yeah, that was the last, when he heard a guy coughing in, in section 300, he was like, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> hang him up. <laughs> yeah. And, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I got there after the Olympics in Atlanta. I was thinking maybe I'll get lucky one more time, play my way into shape, but I wasn't going to get the minutes. I didn't have the time. We were trying to make the playoffs in Atlanta and it just didn't work out. And I contemplated, you know, going back the next year, going to training camp, getting in shape and starting out with someone and see if I still had it. But at that point, I was having trouble with my daughter, Kaylee. It was her senior year and it was time for me to, for the first time in my life, had to make a decision between family and hockey. And I thought it was more important to, to watch her graduate and kind of help babysit. You know, my wife was at her end with this one, Kaylee. And uh, uh, she was me, or you, Nux. Yeah, and we, I, got, I had yeah. to get there and... And I had to watch her. You know, I, that was one of those deals where I had to show her that I cared. And it was the right decision. Yeah, because well, that year when you came you. to the Wolves, like, were you in the beginning of that year, I guess, were you getting offers to go play? Yeah. Okay, I, I got you. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to, you know, I would sign one of those deals. Where, what is a PTO where you're making just enough where anybody could sign you? Um, and there was no interest until, you know, when it was coming time for playoffs. And uh you know that's when you know out of nowhere you know uh, atlanta signed me and like i said the timing was terrible i was in, in vancouver at the olympics i hadn't worked out uh hadn't done a thing for two and a half weeks and then the minute i got back to chicago they called me up so i felt terrible so chelly we got to ask you about the malibu mob obviously uh john cusack db sweeney uh eddie vetta uh, all the boys kid rock uh, how, how'd that all come about? Because, again, you're playing hockey, Montreal, then Chicago. Next thing, you're out in Malibu. What what got you to Malibu? Why? I know you love the beach. I know you love California. But what drew you to Malibu? I'll tell you what. I'll keep it short. I was with Montreal at the time, and I was with Russ Courtnall after a game against the Kings. And you may – I don't know. Did you play with Russ? Nux, uh, just Courtnall at the end. Yeah, Montreal? my last year. My last year when so I came anyway, back. So, we went – after after the the game in LA, we went down to the famous Forum Club there, which every guy that played in this league, you know, <laughs> can remember that Forum Club. And Russ was friends with Tony Danza, so we you know sp spent the night there drinking. 
and Tony Danza was living in, in Malibu and he mentioned to me, he said, you should check it out. Beautiful place. And so, you know, I wanted to get away, uh, you know, in the summer so I could spend time with my family. I was just going to start a family and I went to Malibu and I rented for two years and I fell in love with it and ended up buying it. So, you know, after a couple of years hanging around with, you know, Tony Danza and DB Sweeney and John Cusack, there's a group of guys that we decided to, you know, call ourselves the Malibu mob. So, you know, we did everything together. We trained together. You know, we, we would, you know, we would uh, go out for dinners together. We had kids, a lot of us. John McEnroe was part of that. Uh, and this guy, Don Wildman, who's passed now, he was uh, 60 years old when we met him, but he was like, you know, the most fit, uh, you know, crazy, trained, but lived, loved life. He started Vic Tanny Health Clubs and he kept us all together. We did everything together. And, uh, you know, now, you know, 30-something years later, you know, Don's gone. There's not too many guys left from the mob in Malibu. Some have moved away. and uh, But we still, you know, manage the core of us, you know, me, McEnroe. Uh, there's guys like Randy Gerber, who's not really, wasn't an athlete, but, he, you know, the founder of Casamigos. And, you know, this other guy, Nate, Jeff Sweet. So we still got a group of guys that we still hang and do our stuff. Yeah, speaking of, we were having DB on here, too, and I was uh... – that's a man. That's a lot of years. I didn't know is that, you know, do you, who's renting yeah. the place now? You, I know you're right. You've rented out a lot, right? Yeah, but there's no one right now. We're, we're no, we have it now. The, you know, the family's there. A couple of my kids are there right now. Uh, you know, during the winters when I do get a break from ESPN and from the Hawks, you know, if I have a three four day break, I get out there and, you know, it, it's beautiful. And you need that break during these long winters, obviously. Like I said, I, I, I used to spend my, my summers there. Now I've switched that. But we've, like I said, along the course of the years, we've had some pretty famous people that have rented the place, and they've been great. And it's been a lot of fun. i got a real special place out there. Shelly, one last one. The Nick Nolte night. Tell me about the Nick Nolte <laughs> night. Nick Nolte, you got to remind me, Nick Nolte's been over a few <laughs> you, times. You went over um, his house one night. And you left oh, there. to his place. Yeah. Yeah, he drugged me. Nick Nolte <laughs> drugged me with some kind of liquid drink that he mixed into my bottle of water. Yeah. So anyway, I, I took a sip of this water, and, and about a half hour later, I was you know, kind of off a little bit and lightheaded. So I, I said, what the F did you give me? He goes, I told you to sip it. I go, sip my ass. What'd you, what did you give me? And he, I forget what it was. It wasn't... Uh, I don't know. He carried it around all anyway. So he goes, well, let's go for a walk in my garden. So I, I couldn't even walk. I was tripping. It felt like I did acid. I've never done acid either, but I've seen movies or, but yeah. And, and he, whatever he'd given me, it, it didn't last long, but man, he was a character, this guy, he, you know, he used to walk around, he did this movie and he was Benjamin Franklin. So I, I think he never, ever came out of character. Um, he walked around Malibu in a robe and he carried two big water bottles filled with that stuff. And he was just tripping all the time, but real nice guy, you know, really interesting fellow. He thought he was a doctor. Like he actually, you know, thought he was a doctor and his, his house had a, you know, a lab in there and he called it all protocol. And it, it was something this guy, but uh, yeah, he's still in Malibu. Unfortunately, his house burned down in that last big fire. But, you know, I'll see him occasionally. He, you know, he's, he's a great guy. You know, just he's, he's a beauty. You, when you see him, do you, re, do you bring up, like, you remember when you drugged me? 
No, 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 no. <laughs> not, never bring that up. We, we talk like he, you know, if for some reason he was in Pittsburgh the year we won the cup and I ran into him in a hotel there and right away we recognized each other. He's really good friends and close with, uh, with John Cusack. So that's, that's how we actually met. That's awesome. Charlie, we got to sneak one more thing in from a fan. He uh, texted, um, who was the toughest player to defend against? And who was the toughest and meanest to play against? All right, to, to defend against, I'm going to say it, it, probably Mario because of his size and his speed. Uh, he's the one guy, if he got a step on you, he was gone, and obviously he would finish and score. So he was the toughest to defend. You know, I, it was a challenge for me every time when we played him. Uh, so, and especially in the Stanley Cup Finals, you know, he, you know, he was a handful and then a beating us there in Chicago. Uh, and then I guess the toughest and meanest guy, Knox, you could, you know, familiarize with this guy. And, and after it's all said and done, I respected him. But that goddamn Dale Hunter, well. if, I won't say I was scared, but I was aware he was out. He got me. I mean, he blew my knee out twice and he wasn't afraid of you either because uh, he, he didn't care. You know, he, if he's going to he'll. He went after me, and he knew you were going to be coming. But that guy, and give him credit, he scored some big goals. He was every bit as important as a star player to his teams. And, you know, he hurt them at times with his undisciplined play, but that guy was a warrior. So if, yeah. if anybody, it would have been Dale Hunter for sure. I, I couldn't agree more with that one. Listen, one of my favorite all-time teammates, you, the, my, my best teammate ever, honestly, uh, and just like back in the day, I still love you, Chelly. Always have, thanks, always Knox, will. Love you too. Yeah, Chelly, thanks. Yep. It's, it's always uh, obviously. When's the boat come out? That's why I'm on here. I want to know. Boat's out <laughs> April fifteenth. I'm counting the days, man. There's yeah, sun out today. It's Sixty-seven degrees here two days ago. I know. And then it's like, it's, it's yeah. Now it's thirty, and uh, there was a snowstorm or sl slush storm last. That's crazy. Well, you'll be hearing from me more once the boat comes out. So I appreciate you coming. Absolutely. On and, uh, it's always good seeing you. It's great. We'll I'll have to make a trip. All the people in Montreal. Yeah, for sure, Nux. You love boating. That's your thing. Yeah, I'll have to <laughs> make don't do a trip out, out there. You need a tan, Nux. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah, good luck with that one. Yeah. <laughs> you used to be tan, Nux. <laughs> yeah, like in no, September, great. though, well, coming back from, from the yeah, summers. Right. But awesome stuff, Shelly. Thanks so, so much.